that you're here tonight. I'm just honestly thrilled that um, you're going to be here to hear a word and to worship and to um, kind of celebrate a little bit with us this week. So the series of talks that we've been going through um, the past couple weeks here at Aggies for Christ is a series called Prodigal. And we've been talking about one of the most famous teachings of Jesus found in the Gospel of Luke. And that teaching is called the parable of the prodigal son is found in Luke chapter 15. Now, this series has been extremely challenging. This series has been extremely challenging in that we've been doing a character study on the different characters that are in this parable. So we've done the, we've done the younger son, which is the prodigal son himself, and we've done the older son, which was resentful and bitter. And then we've also done the, uh, and so tonight we're going to do the father. Now, it's been challenging in that the first week when we did the, the prodigal son, the younger son, we came to this conclusion, we came to this truth that no matter where we're at in our walk right now, at one point in our, in one point in our Christian walk, we at least all had to identify with the prodigal son. We all have to come to this point where we know that at one point in our walk or another, we drifted away from God and we have to come back. That is the, that is the bedrock of being a Christian is identifying with the prodigal son himself. Last week was also super challenging. We talked about the older brother and we talked about how he was resentful and he was bitter that his younger brother was getting this party. And we identified that church structure sometimes has done this and has become resentful and judgmental. And so what we came to the conclusion was is that we never want to be that older brother Christian. We never want to, fa- we never want to fall into that older brother syndrome. And these talks have confronted us and they've hit home and they've been hard. But tonight... Tonight we get to celebrate with a character of the story that should bring us immense joy. Tonight we're going to do a character study on the loving father, the forgiving father. And it's a good story. This is the good part of the story. Now it is challenging. When we look at this fatherly role, we're going to look at this and we're going to be challenged. That, like that's the type of Christian I'm supposed to grow into? It's challenging in that regard, but it's joyful because of the hope and the encouragement that we take from this man's story. And it's the next step in our faith journey. And so this is, the, this is the part of the story where we see joy. This is the part of the story where we don't see what we've been and we don't see what we don't want to become, but we see what we're supposed to grow into, what we're supposed to grow into. And so like I said, we're talking about the forgiving father. And in doing so this week and in preparation for this talk, I was trying to be clever. I wanted to name it dad goals. I wanted to do all these things. And so I was on YouTube trying to find all this stuff. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. This, this video I'm about to show you is it's not that relevant to the, to the text, except for it's super joyful. It's super joyful. And so I wanted to set the tone for our evening with this compilation. Babe, do we have baby fever yet? Is that a no? <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still trying. Listen, the, the, Bible, the Bible is full of don'ts. The Bible is full of no. Sometimes the church is full of these things. But, man, tonight we're going to talk about a do. And tonight we're going to do joy, and that's going to be the tone that we set tonight when we talk about the forgiving Father. So if you would, um, will you pray with me for the sermon tonight? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you, and I'm so thankful for this group of people. God, I just, I, I love college students and young adults that want to come draw closer to you. In, in the midst of everything else in this world, um, they're here tonight, ready to hear a word from you. And so I pray that um, anything you want them to hear falls on soft and open hearts. Anything else just um, dissipates into the air, God, because we can do nothing here without you in your presence. And so we ask for that tonight. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we're thankful for your son and waiting on the cross. In his name I pray. And everybody said, amen. 
As a lot of you know, I've said this a couple times, I grew up across the mountain in Alamogordo, New Mexico, and I grew up playing basketball, and I grew up loving Alamogordo Tiger basketball. It was just something I always wanted to be a part of. And so when I finally got into high school and my, in a couple, a couple years went by, and I'm finally ready to start playing varsity basketball, and we get a new coach. We do a coaching change. And uh, this new guy comes in, and he comes in with this, uh, it's kind of a strange agenda at first. I'm, I'm going to try my best not to, to badmouth him tonight, because that's not really my goal. But I do want to point out something that he did. So he, wa- so he comes in, and, uh, and we liked him enough. He got us in really good shape, and um, we thought we were going to win some games, whatever. But he started doing some things that really kind of shook us as a team, as a program. We used to have these really great locker room traditions where, like, we had this big old A painted on the middle of our locker room. And if one toe, one fingernail of yours touched that A, you were on the ground doing 50 push-ups. It was just something that we did. It was like a, it was like a sacred A in the ground. And this first thing he comes in, he d- gets away with some of our locker room traditions. Another weird thing that he did is he came in, he took down all of our state championship banners from the gym. So we had this great gym with these really great black and gold banners all across. And it was just decorated. It was all over the place. But... It was cool. It was history. It was tradition. It was, what we, it was what we were about as a program. And he took all those down. And he wanted, to, um, he wanted us to make our own history. Well, okay. So, we, uh, so those things, fine, whatever. We could get past them. So the first game, the first game of my, of my junior season, we come in. And we get, these, uh, we get these traveling t-shirts that he made for us. These are, these are shirts that we used to just travel to road games in. And it used to have sleeves. And apparently I used to be a double XL. I was boys in the hood back in the day. <laughs> but, uh, but we got these traveling shirts, right? The big black and gold Almagro Tiger basketball. And it was, it was just a nice shirt to wear around to, to road games. Um, but then he came up with this motto that we had, never, we had never heard before. The motto was change the attitude. Change the attitude. This was something that our coach came up with on our own. He didn't ask us about it. This is never something we chanted in the huddle. It was change the attitude. And he had this whole theory that, that we were supposed to, uh, that, that we relied too much on the teams of the past. He didn't like the coach that, was, that preceded him, and, and he didn't like some of the things, the traditions that we had. And so he wanted to change the attitude and wanted us to forge our own identity. Now, here's the thing. That in and of itself isn't the bad thing, that he wanted us to forge our own identity. What the problem was is he stripped away everything that had made our team and our program and our school what it was. And he didn't tell us what the new attitude was supposed to be. Change the attitude, change the attitude, change the attitude. We didn't know to what. And so everything that we had known about our team had been stripped away with nothing to fill in its place. And I think sometimes that's the danger of what church does or what other Christians might expect of us. Charlton touched on it in a sermon this Sunday. We live sometimes in a church culture of don't do this, don't do that. The Bible says this. And so we strip away some of these things. Now, as a reasonable person who really does believe in God and really does believe in Scripture, I can take that and I can say, okay, you know what? You're right. Like, man, man, God said that this is going to be harmful for me, so I should take that out of my life. But the problem becomes when we're not told what to fill that space with. We strip ourselves of our identity, but we don't know what to fill that space life. What should my life look like then? And so if we're going to strip these things away, they're going to harm us. We have to set our sights on a new abundant way of living. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, I'm actually going to start in verse 22. It reads like this. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God 
in true righteousness and holiness. And so that's what studying the forgiving Father should do for us tonight. It should show us a new way of living, a new self that we find in God. Now, this is not a sad thing or a bad thing or where Jesus is asking you not to be true to yourself. This is God saying, I have a better way. I have a better way. And I think what the problem is, when we start to try to boil down like lifestyle changes, and changes in community, and changes in friends, and these, these changes in attitudes. The problem is, is we look at it as being like, well, that might be a little bit better for me. Like, if I start following God, that might be a little bit better for me. It might be marginally better for me. That, that, that's not what God's saying here. What God's saying here is this is significantly better for you. This is a significantly better way of life to do things the way I said to, be do, to do them. It is a new and abundant self that you'll, believe, you'll be living in. It is not just marginally better. It is extremely better way of doing things. And so that's the promise of new life. That's the promise of new creation. And that's what I pray over this room that we see tonight from the story of the forgiving father. So in your Bibles or on the screen, we're going to read, um, we're going to read to kind of recap of the parable of the prodigal son again. I'm going to pick it up in verse 17. But to this point, um, the prodigal son, if you haven't been here, he, he's the son who told his father, um, I want half of my inheritance. I want half of it now, and, and I'm out of here. Now, what scholars have said of this, of this story and of this parable, and what, what makes it so dynamic is that this is pretty much like the son telling the father, I can't wait for you to die. I can't wait for you to die. I'm out of here. I really want to take this money now, and I'm done with this family, and he abandons the family. So the prodigal son takes his money, he, he gets out, and he goes to a foreign land, he squanders it. He squanders it on women and partying and who knows what else, and he finds himself at rock bottom working in a pig farm, and he's starving, and he wants to eat the pig food, and the owner won't even let him do that. So he's at rock bottom when we pick it up in verse 17, and it reads like this. But when he came to himself, this is the young son, the prodigal son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But this father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And then they began to celebrate. We know this story most, most famously as the, the parable of the prodigal son, but just as appropriately, we could have named it the parable of the forgiving father, the parable of the forgiving father. He literally ignores the apology given to him, and he starts party planning. Hey, get him a robe, get him a ring, take the, take the cow, season it, throw it on the grill, we're going to have a party. He's busy planning this welcome home party. Now, to, now I'm going to finish reading this story, but at this next part, the older brother gets angry. The brother who stayed behind, stayed working for the family, he's angry. Never have you thrown a party for me. I've been faithful. I've been obedient. I've been here. And he refuses to go in. And so we pick it up in verse 31. And he said to him, this is the father to the oldest son now, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. 
for this your brother was dead and he is alive. He was lost and is found. Now, so what's important about that is in the text, the, uh, the father goes out to the older son also. He leaves the party also to go out to the older son. So now twice this father has gone out to his sons to try, them, to try to bring them both back. And that's a very important point as we go through this. Now, as we read this scripture on our own, as we go through stories like this on our own, we look at things like the, we look at things like the father and we say, you know what, like, okay, yeah, I'm the prodigal and the older son, like, yeah, I don't want to be like him, but the father in this story is God, right? Like, that's who we should, that's who we should relate this story to, it's God. Well, sure, absolutely. We get one of the most beautiful pictures of God in all of scripture from this parable. The father, full of grace, full of mercy and forgiving. But Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we are not only children of God, but we are heirs of God. And as heirs of God, we don't look at these godly traits that we see of him in Scripture and just go on our merry way. We look at these godly traits, these traits that he projects in the parable of the forgiving father, and we look at them when we say, like, that's what I want to be like. I'm going to adopt that trait into my life. And so, y'all, we have a new goal. We have a new goal. We're going to strip away this prodigal son title. At some point in our faith journey, we're going to say, I'm not the prodigal son anymore. I'm home. And we're going to look at the older brother, and we're going to say, I never want to be the older brother. I'm going to fight against everything, every resentful, judgmental bone in my body. I don't want to be the older brother. But we're going to transition into this fatherly role or motherly role. I don't want to ignore that side of it either. But now we have a clear vision, a clear vision of what we're to grow into of what we're to grow into. Now, I know that there's few of us in the room tonight that are parents, and there's few of us in the room that are even close to coming up to that stage in life. So I, I know that relating to this certain character of this story, this character study, would be more tough than the other ones. I, I realize that. But y'all, at a certain point, at a certain point in our faith journey, we have to step beyond our childhood and into maturity. We have to step beyond our childhood and into, our, into maturity. That's just the next step. And so, um, like I said earlier, I wanted so bad to call this sermon Dad Goals, um, but instead we're going to call these, uh, these sermon points for the next couple of slides, we're going to call these the, par- the prodigal's next steps. The prodigal's next steps. And so the first step in the prodigal next step, as we go from this prodigal son to this father, spiritual mother, spiritual father role is this. The prodigal's first step is a heart of forgiveness. A heart of forgiveness. On the next slide, I have a painting, the the Rembrandt painting that we've been looking at for the past couple weeks. This is how Rembrandt depicted the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you really look at this, if everybody would have spent a few seconds looking at this picture, the main source of light that's coming from this, this picture that Rembrandt painted is from the embrace between the father and the son, the, the father and the prodigal son. And that's our call as well. Right here in this image, sin and forgiveness are embracing. Sin and forgiveness are embracing. And it's a and it's not just a, it's not just an embrace that challenges us as being something hard. This is a, This is a type of quick forgiveness, really quick forgiveness, an idea that we don't do well with. See, we're in this, we're in this train of thought, like we understand probation. We understand getting in trouble, paying, paying your time, and then still being under watch when you get out. We, we understand probation. And while that works well for our justice system, it is not the vision that we have of God and is not the vision that we have of the father in the story of the prodigal son. 
The father had no intention ever of punishing his younger son. He didn't even have, he wasn't even searching for an explanation. That is not something he was looking for. This view of God um, and this world, it, it, it shows us that what the prodigal son was doing was punishment enough. That's the same view God has for us. What we're doing, what we're trying to fill our life up with that's not God, it's punishment enough. And so he's never looking for an explanation. All he's asking us to do is to come home. And so we must be a people of quick forgiveness as well. Secondly, the next step for the, for the prodigal is to create a habit of generosity. A habit of generosity. What does the father do? He reclothes his son. He puts the family ring back on him. He puts a new robe on him. He puts new shoes on him, which in that time, that culture would be a very big deal that he would have new shoes again. To not be walking around in the dirt. He brings out his best for him. And that should be our call as well. As an Aggies for Christ community, as a community of believers, our generosity will create the family that we believe in. You want to show this campus that you love God? Be generous. In a culture of materialism and getting all your money and stacking it up as high as you can, the most countercultural way to show that you our God's people is to be a people of generosity. And lastly, the last step for the prodigal son, for the, for the prodigal turning into the fathers. The reason why I was so excited to preach this sermon tonight is that we should have a spirit of joy. We should have a spirit of joy. Remember, uh, remember growing up and going to, uh, going to your friend's house to play? There was always those certain houses you were more excited to go to. Now, some of the time it was because the, the, the friend had the best Legos or a swimming pool or a dirt bike. Like, I get that. But a lot of the time, and I'm thinking back to my childhood, is that some of the houses I was most excited to go to were the houses who had parents that were joyful. The houses who had parents that were joyful. Probably the most noticeable outward trait that other people should recognize when we fully devote our life to Jesus is joy. Joy has throughout history been a marker of the children of God, and it's the same for us today. And it's good for us. The reward of choosing joy is joy in and of itself. And if we're going to mature like the Father in this story, we have to understand that this isn't just some unrealistic joy. The Father is not celebrating in this story because everything is made right in the world. His family is still going to have some hurdles to jump through. He's not celebrating because everything is going to be sunshine and rainbows now. He's celebrating because one son came home. One son came home. That's why he's joyful. Look, I know this world still sucks. Last week, I've never counseled more people that had really hard stories in my, in my short career as a minister than I did last week. I just remembered how broken this world is. Despite, like, we have, like, great Wednesday nights and big small groups and stuff like that, and things are going well for us, when you zoom in, people are having really hard times still. And I was reminded of that last week. And so it's not some, it's not some blind eye to the problems of this world, and it's not a search for temporary happiness. We get to respond with joy, because at the end of the day, we know God's going to make things right. And in the meantime, the Jesus way of doing things just makes more sense for this world. So we get to respond with joy. 
you know, I understood all week long that this was going to be the hardest character for us to associate with. I understood that all week long. But my prayer is that we'll leave here tonight with excitement that comes from seeing ourselves, maybe tonight, maybe down the road, but from seeing ourselves in this new role, in this motherly, fatherly, spiritual role. I know it's hard to see right now, but we have to step behind our childhood, beyond our childhood at some point and move into this maturity. Last semester, um, kind of towards the middle of the semester, I was having a, I just had some people that were complaining about some things that were going on. They were attacking me personally, and, you know, they had had some problems with what was going on in the ministry and stuff like that. So we had to have all these meetings, right? And um, Charlton, our main preacher, was in these meetings with me, and he, uh, and he had my back the whole entire time. I was never, never going to lose my job or anything like that. It's just some people were complaining, and it, and it really hit me hard. It really, it really hit me kind of hard, and Charlton saw how heavy this was becoming on me, and so one day we left one of these meetings, and um, I was walking down the hallway, and Charlton just stopped, and he put his arm around me, and he said, Matt, one day you and Tessa are going to be old and gray. You're going to be in your house. You're going to be bouncing grandbabies on your knee, and you're just going to be at peace with life. You're going to laugh your days away. And this isn't even going to be in the back of your mind. This day, this drama, this stress is going to be so far from your train of thought that it's not even going to matter. And that visual gave me such peace. Thinking about myself in the grandfather role, I know it's strange, but it was, it was extremely impactful. And it got me thinking then as it got me thinking this week that, man, this type of believer that has peace during drama, this type of believer that can, that can smile and, and, and find joy and find forgiveness and move on, like this will be my final vocation in life. This will be your final vocation in life. If we mature into these older Jesus followers, this is who we will be. We will be a people that are more peaceful, that are loving, that are caring, that are non-judgmental, that are generous, and that are joyful. That's who we get to grow into. And so you've heard the quote, um, either get busy living or get busy dying. Like, we get the chance to get busy living. The sooner we accept this role, the sooner we move from this prodigal son role into the next phase in life, we get to start living. I want you to think about this last trait of the prodigal son and the other characters in the story, the last character study for for the semester on these three people. Think about this. The only character in the story that stayed home, that was rooted and convicted in what he believed, and also the only character that fully was able to to party and be joyful at the end celebration was the father. It was the father. When we strip away our identity and we say, well, what next then? It's this. It's believers. It's people who get to meet these, this life that's going to come with grief and trials. I get that. But we get to become a people that have joy and meet this life with a celebration as well. That is the identity that we're growing into. And that's what we have to look forward to. Will, uh, will you all pray with me, please? Dearly Father, we love you and we praise you and we're thankful for the parable of the prodigal son. We're thankful for the, older, for the forgiving father. God, we're thankful that um, this, is a, this is a view of you, 
and how you forgive us and how you love us. And I pray for the people in this room, um, myself included, that maybe have never looked at um, the Father before as the, as the person that we're supposed to grow into. But God, I know that's what this room can be. A room of mature believers that want to be a people of forgiveness, a people of generosity, a people of joy. And so I pray today that that's what we can grow into, Father. That we turn this, um, this group of college students and young adults into a, uh, into a room of, uh, of mature believers that are following after you, that are quick to forgive and quick to be generous. We ask all this in your son's most precious name, precious name I pray. Amen. Hey, so tonight, I don't know where you're still at in this story, in this character study, um, but no matter where you're at, if you want to come and pray with myself or my wife or the interns, like feel free to come do that um, during these next two songs. Another thing I really want to tell you guys is right after AFC tonight, right after these next two songs, um, we're not going to hang out in the gym tonight. We actually have one of our um, freshman guys, Brandon Rue. Where are you at, Brandon? Okay, Brandon is going to be getting baptized this evening in the other building, so we're super excited about that. And so, and so what we're going to do is everybody is invited to walk over to the other building with us. It's only going to take about five, ten minutes to, to baptize them, and then we'll get out of there. And then we can hang out in that other building if you want to. We're not going to do tea tonight, but we're going to go celebrate Brandon's baptism over there as a family. So everybody's welcome to come do that tonight. But for right now, if you need prayer, come find me. If you need uh, something else, come find the interns. But let's stand and worship together.